everyone, and welcome to a podcast brought to you by Catapult Solutions. I'm your host for today, Gabrielle, and right now I'm thrilled to be joined by Hannah Anderson, Tyler Lee, and Skip Howard. They've joined me today to tell us all about the new AI tech within retail. But before we get into the subject matter at hand, go ahead and let's just go through, uh, give a brief bio of name, title, and what it is you do in the industry. So welcome. My name is Hannah Anderson, and I am a National Account Executive for Catapult Solutions Group. We are a full-service staffing firm, um, and we service all around the world. Fantastic. And Tyler? Uh, my name is Tyler Lee. I'm also a account executive here, um, and obviously Hannah just kind of did a short breakdown. Uh, we are a full-service uh, staffing firm, um, and you know, we uh, I've been here with the company for... But since February, and I'm enjoying it, and you know, being able to work with Hannah and the team, it's a, it's a great work environment. So, you know, I'm uh, I really appreciate you know Hannah and everything that she's she's done with me at this company. Absolutely, and Skip. I'm Skip Howard. I'm founder and CEO of Spacey. We're a computer vision AI company. We serve the Fortune 1000 retailers around the world in solving supply chain issues with robotics, IoT, AI at the edge. Fantastic. Uh, well, we're going to be asking you just about a brief overview of what Spacey is all about and just what ultimately inspired its creation. So just what's the driving force behind Spacey's mission and just how does it distinguish itself from other AI and IoT companies in the retail space? Yes, I'll, I'm happy to answer that. That's a really good question. How are we different and uh, what do we do for our clients? So what we do for our clients, I'll share my screen here. Um, we provide this little tiny um, IoT rover that has a camera on it, and it drives up and down the aisle um, inside of a retail store. So it's an invisible robot that scans inventory for these retailers, and it's solving about seven different $1 billion problems. And here's an example of what it what it does, right? Um, it, it determines out of stock, if something's in stock, out of stock, if there's a planogram problem, if the price is wrong, um, able to update websites with what is inventory available, not just what your algorithm says is on hand. Um, and and we do all of that in a very unique way. We, we started with this little um, robot that we built from the ground up because, you know, being a computer vision expert, we, we understand fundamentally that computer vision is a symbiotic relationship between how you do data collection and how your algorithms perform. That also differentiates us quite heavily from our competition. Um, it's, it's not like we're going to just buy cameras off the internet and try to use those to solve these problems. But um, because we built our own device, we can actually control every variable within that device, which means we can actually break theoretical limits. So that's a lot of fun, providing tremendous value for retailers and being so different um, in, in the way anybody else is doing this in the marketplace. We also have a uh, second component real quick um, I'll mention. We, we project touchscreens on the two-dimensional and three-dimensional environment. Um, that's where we started as a company. Turns out, as we're solving those problems, we I, I can talk a little bit more how we got started, but we learned that uh, supply chain is kind of where it's at. 
Absolutely. Well, just a little bit more elaboration on the tech itself. Just how does Spacey's AI you know, help retailers understand what's actually on their shelves? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, again, if this is an example you're going to see of, uh, I think this is a hardware store. And so what happens is this little robot right here in front of me drives up and down an aisle, and there's a camera right here, and it's seeing everything across the aisle. And this guy runs every 20 minutes. And so it's identifying stock. It's identifying what it, not just, you know, is something there, but what is it? We're using um, computer vision inference to actually tell us what is that product based on its feature set, colors, right, labels, all of that kind of stuff, the, the, the pricing, everything. And it goes in and we create these internal SKUs. Here's a grocery example, right? And so it creates these internal SKUs, and not only does it tell you what's available for customers to put into their cart, right? It tells you where that is on the shelf in relative position to everything else on the shelf. If it's actually there, even though a system says it's supposed to be there, that's your out-of-stock issues. Um, is it priced correctly? And then ultimately, the halo effect around measuring what's on a shelf um, does quite a bit more. So technically... The way we do this, which is another big differentiator, is we use a distributed AI system that we built and we created. So none of this is streaming to the cloud, like none of it. And um, there's a reason we do that. If we were to go stream terabytes of data every hour <laughs> to the cloud, we'd be paying you know, the telcos tens of millions of dollars just to retrieve data. So instead, these little robots, you know, drive up and down the aisle, all the aisles in an entire store uh, every 20 to 30 minutes. And, and every they're staggered, right? And then they stream that to a server on site where all the inference is processed. So we take like a single two gigabyte file and some high res pictures and package it together. We create metadata off of that. And that is turned into basically a hundred kilobyte file that can go into the cloud. So incredibly small packages with inferred data. Um, so not only not only are we solving these big problems, we're, we're reducing the cost it takes to actually roll systems out just by thinking a little differently and doing it the hard way and not the easy way, um, if that makes any sense. No, it doesn't. It's really fantastic technology that you're showing us here. And, you know, I want to put this into the context of just interactive shopping experiences. So, uh, Tyler or Hannah, you can also jump in here as well. But just what are some of the um, elements that Spacey is able to enable in these interactive shopping experiences? What are we seeing now uh, that Spacey is actually able to elevate uh, with its technology? What sort of interactions can customers expect from maybe in contrast to what they're used to? Yeah. So I'll skip around a little bit. Um, the obvious answer is if I know what's on a shelf, I can actually, up, as a retailer, I could update my website so people can actually order what's in the store if I'm going to use my store as a distribution center, right? Instead of guessing which is what predictive algorithms try attempt to do, and uh, tell you what is available to go buy, a retailer would have the opportunity to understand, hey, this is not actually in the store. It might be in someone's shopping cart. It might be on the truck, but it's not available for somebody to go pick, one of our employees to pick for an online order. So instead, why don't we redirect them to alternatives and actually go through a sales process? 
And so when you, you have these rates that you're measuring of picking what is right and what is wrong off of a shelf for these online orders, the rates will move anywhere from 30 to 50% up to like the 90s when you can actually sell what's there, right? So that's number one. And then we talk about experiences. I'm jumping forward a little bit. Uh, we have we talked about the um, virtual touch screens. So this is kind of the other side of the business. We uh, we turn drywall, concrete, uh, you know, there is plastic right there in a Walmart store, uh, tables, anything into an interactive screen. And we got really good at not just tables, walls, and glass, right, that you're going to see here. But we decided, hey, you can turn products into interactive devices. So no RFID reading, no barcode reading. You just put a product down and it understands what it is using computer vision. And you can you can create a, uh, a really cool um, experience with it. So fast forward, let's see here. We, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into this a little bit. We we can turn cars into touch screens, and there's all all these really cool, unique stories around these different use cases. This one actually drove sales of vehicles, which was surprising, because we're in a mall where we're basically inviting people to come touch and feel a car, and there's this. Um, philosophy called the endowment effect. And that's when you try on clothes or you pick up things, you're more likely to buy them because for some of the shoppers, it creates this emotional connection, right? Well, it also works for high dollar vehicles. You know, out of about 1500 users a month on this, we sell about three cars every 45 days from people touching the, the car. And so they walk into the dealership and say, I want the one from the mall. And we're like, you know, it doesn't come with the lights. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we want that one. Um, so that, that's an example. Here's a, a deli kiosk. Uh, I'm sorry, a deli sneeze guard turned into a kiosk. So we're projecting a touchscreen onto the glass. And um, shoppers are able to place their orders directly on the glass. There's no power running to the glass. Right? You can turn it off and you have your glass back. The only thing applied is this $20 piece of film to disperse light. And then finally, we get into uh, the products. So... Let me make sure that's on mute. Okay. So you can actually hover over a product or pick up a product and get a digital digital reaction like we talked about earlier. Um, so this, this is a repurposed digital sign, adding a camera and some software to it. So you pick up a product, you get an ad, and you can use all of this kind of technology for ads and sales and all that. But think, what if I marry up what's in stock and out of stock to an ad system you can start selling what's actually in your store instead of like marketing things that you might be out of stock for, right? So there's high, high value for a lot of these folks and these retailers to go do this stuff. So um, I'll tell you a quick story, if I may, about how we got into sure, uh, the supply chain, supply chain side. We were over at a very large, might be the world's largest soft drink manufacturer in Europe. And they ordered a, a regular bottle, a diet bottle, and a zero sugar bottle to be interactive, right? And so we go and we deliver it. And the lady running it is like, this is exactly what I ordered, but I'm going to teach you guys about retail, right? Nobody is going to keep this pretty. Um, she mixes it all up, knocks bottles over. She said, now it's not going to work. And this is how people shop, right? You got you to gotta stand up to these chaotic environments. So she picks up the soft drink. And it works. And she's like, well, how the hell did you do that? 
And we're like, well, it's computer vision, right? We're using like object recognition and image classification together with the virtual touch. It's not rocket science. We're just moving it around when we're tracking the object. And this was a while ago before AI became like a big buzzword. And she looks at us and goes, can you tell me how many bottles are on this table? And we're like, yeah, we can tell you how many bottles. And so she said, follow me. So we went to a grocery store and she said, if you can tell me how many bottles are on that shelf in the entire uh, European Union, that's worth $700 million a year to my company. And we said, we should probably go figure that out then. And that's how we got into supply chain side. It's not like we had a grand vision to go do this. We listened to our clients. We understand why they wanted this solved, what the value was solved. And we invented something for a market, not a specific uh, use case, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I'm glad you brought up that use case, actually, because it's a perfect segue into um, and we're just talking about uh, how retailers can maximize sales. And now we're kind of slipping into the inventory management side. So just how uh, are these systems really helping on um, that perfect use case example, inventory uh, on the inventory side? How is it helping? How does it help retailers maximize sales in that respect? So. How are we helping retailers with an inventory management of what is uh, on the shelf and off the shelf? So what I showed you earlier was an out-of-stock detector, a planogram detector. We have quite a bit more. Um, you know, Here we are looking through objects because we have a moving field of view. We can actually see through occlusions. You'll see on the right, purple boxes don't disappear. So one of the questions is, you know, if you're going to manage inventory, you got to be able to see it. Right, And so this is a proof that we can actually see the inventory, even if people are in the way. We actually drop them from the frame, so we're fully GDPR compliant. And then this is really the core to the answer to your question, because we're going back and forth and not real time. Right, We're at the bottom of this cost curve to as real time as you can possibly get. So every 20 minutes, every 30 minutes, we have algorithms to do um, analysis on before and after frames. So... Here we are looking at a four-foot section of a 60-foot long shelf, and we are colorizing for the purposes of a presentation, right? Anything that has a stock depletion is shaded in yellow, and anybody who puts something back on the shelf, it shades purple. So now you're watching inventory movements in this very near real time and inventory velocity. So that affects your counts of what's on the shelf, what's supposed to be on the shelf when you're kind of store ready or what do they call that? Uh, when you first open up for the day, you're ready for the day, everything is fully stocked. You can actually watch those depletions happen. We're not like gonna tell you if they sold, right? That's what your POS system is for. But this bridges the gap between everything that is sold and all of the shrink. What is supposed to be there, what the, what the order system says is supposed to be there, was it stolen, was it broken, is it hidden somewhere in the store? Like it bridges all that gap. Um, and that's kind of nirvana for retailers is trying to figure out how to create a perpetual inventory system. And you can only do that if you know the velocities and, and what is left on the shelf. Skip, I have a quick question for you. Yes, if there was a product, we talked about movement of products and packaging and all of that. If a product was maybe placed there, you know, if a consumer decided they didn't want that product anymore and they placed a product in the field view of, say, this image that did not belong, would it be able to identify the product and know that it was not supposed to be there? Or what would that look like? Yeah, hundred. well, there's, there's two answers, right? Two answers. One is 
Absolutely. You saw us doing um, image recognition earlier on every single facing. So if somebody takes a product up and uh, moves it um, to another aisle or down the aisle or whatever, we actually know what it is. So we know where it's in the store. We can actually tell you where it is in the store, not just we know we know what's in the store, right? Um, we don't look at empty shelves and say that's out of stock. That's like cheating and it's easy, but it's not accurate, right? It's not, it's not practical in an operations state, uh, standpoint. So you actually have to look at products and where are they. And then the second answer is this guy. So what about if somebody picks up a product, evaluates it and puts it back, right? Even if it's in the wrong spot or the right spot. This is an example where somebody picked up this bottle, evaluated it, put it back and decided not to purchase it. So now you have browsing versus buying capabilities with the same system. There's no extra work to go do this. So uh, I, I think marketing loves this kind of stuff and you can do A-B testing on pricing and see if this helps or not helps. You start looking at um, evaluations, not just heat maps of where people stood. You can get very granular with this technology now. Does that, does that answer your question? Absolutely. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, no, this is also a good segue into how retailers are using this information that they're gathering. I mean, browsing versus, versus buying is very valuable information to a retailer. So you're getting that data. Do you have any um, examples of data-based actions that uh, retailers have taken based on the analytics that Spaces is able to provide? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of KPIs, depending on what part of the organization you work for and what you care about, you know, as a part of your job. The CEO, the COO, they care about everything, right? The CSCO, all these people care about everything. Um, so some some of the analytics, the the easiest one to communicate is the out-of-stock problem. For large retailers, it's just a given. I don't even have to go and sell them on the problem. This has been a problem for like 60 years. If you If it's not on a shelf, you can't sell it. Right, and you lose, you lose productivity, you lose um, profitability, and the consensus is it's generally a billion-dollar problem annually, and for for figuring if it's out of stock or not. There's there's a margin of error. Some things can be substituted. Um, for example, if I'm going in to buy, um, you know, a fertilizer in a in a hardware store, I might not care what brand really. Maybe I'm not brand loyal. But if I'm going to buy Pepsi, I'm not going to buy Coca-Cola, right? So it is lost. And so I might go order that somewhere else, and that's completely lost. So these retailers are super savvy. They actually understand all of that. And they, they understand the out-of-stock problem like better than we do. We just enable them to do something about it, and they do. So then you can actually measure the time it takes. Once you create, let me go back. Once you identify out-of-stocks, you can create a task list based on the value of those products or based on the path that somebody has to go take to go fill out-of-stocks. You're optimizing footsteps. And you can actually measure the time it takes to go fulfill that and to go um, put the stuff back on the shelf. All of it correlates to real-time sales, right? Um, so that's number one. Um, I would say probably something that's even stronger um, in the post-COVID world, when you're doing your online ordering, we talked about this a little bit earlier. When you're doing online ordering, there is tremendous value in making sure you pick the right products for the order and not doing substitutions. 
And there is a, again, a general consensus that if I, as a retailer, have to look at your order, decide we don't have what you order, even though my website said we did, and I have to go um, create a substitution and I bring it out to your car and you're like, I didn't want that, right? And I have to take that out of your order and then go restock it. Like all that time, like eats the profit of the entire sale. And this is a very big problem. So accuracy is important. And my opinion, there's not a whole lot of data around this, depending on what country and where you are and all of that. It is generally between 30 and 50% accurate today. So that is a tremendous loss. And being able to um, identify where something is, what it is, um, and preventing, like again, closer you are to the top of the funnel and you prevent the problem before it get, becomes you know, further down the funnel, the cheaper it is to actually um, correct. So that is one of the largest ROIs we are seeing right now in the marketplace. Because we're, I wouldn't say eliminating, but we are getting very close to, uh, to seeing all of that go away. Sure. Well, Spacey actually has a global presence with offices in multiple countries. So how does that international focus influence the company's technology that we're talking about today, but also the overall mission? And just have there been any maybe unique challenges or opportunities you've encountered while expanding into markets like London, Dubai and Australia? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. Um, I would say that Every country has its very unique set of problems and challenges. At the core, we're solving the same problems. I mean, this is a retail industry and um, Western civilizations, legal systems, you know, companies that operate within those rules are generally close enough where we're solving these major problems without significant changes. The significance is it's not like I can go create a model on a product in America and have the exact same model work in Europe or Australia or the Middle East or wherever um, we need to roll it out, South America. They're, they're all slightly different. So you, you have, we have to create data sets that are a little different. Um, and managing all that has been a, a, you know, a challenge we've been able to overcome, but nonetheless a challenge early on. The, um, there's laws you have to comply with, you know, uh, GDPR, for example, um, really shaped how we do it for everybody. Even though not every country has um, laws that are required like that, it still makes sense for the world. So we drop, we drop pictures um, of anybody that's ever, like, we don't even take pictures of people is basically the bottom line. Even though you can and you have to, like, obfuscate and all, we just cut them out. Right, because we're not about uh, keeping personal identifiable information. It's all about what's on a shelf. So we became very good with what's on a shelf. The way certain retailers stock certain things in different countries is a little different, right? But I would also argue that diversity in how this is done makes the entire system stronger. Um, and that's kind of a benefit of artificial intelligence in general. Right. If we have we're we're A and I artificial narrow intelligence, and if it's on a shelf, where we get very very good at it. Um, and so because of that, if if there's uh, more diversity, we can actually we're stronger in telling what a product is, what a product isn't, what a bottle is, what a bottle isn't, and then what the actual brand is and what the skew is and what it isn't. And so all of it helps us. 
if, if that makes sense. The harder part is more like the sales cycle on the business, very different sales cycles in different countries. Um, you know, how, how you operate in America is very different than lots of parts of the world, like in Asia, for example. It's just different. And you have to have local talent who knows how to work within those systems and, and high trust. And, but that's every business, right? That's not unique to us. Very true. Well, looking a little bit to the future, what are some of the trends that you could possibly see happening with AI, uh, but more specifically in the retail sector? And, and just how is Spacey kind of uh, priming itself for maybe those future opportunities? Sure. So for the next hour, I, I'm just kidding. I could <laughs> talk forever about this subject. Um, the artificial intelligence, I have very unique views on um what it is and where it's headed and, and what's going to win. I think very clearly artificial narrow intelligence is strongly going to win the day. Um, it, and, and really, I think the future is right now, right now we have like generative AI in this bubble. Everybody knows what generative AI is. Everybody's trying to either invest or build. It is incredibly simple and it's a little bit, not as transformational as everybody thinks. It is very amazing and very transformational, but it is not. We are in a hype bubble and it'll burst and we will figure out what is real and it'll grow. We do real-time AI, right? And we see a little differently. These aren't like batches where we're going to go write a book. This is identifying what's happening in real time. And I definitely see uh, if computer vision is based on how well sensors are built, and the methodology on sensors are built. Well, there's other sensors in the world that you can use to perform artificial intelligence. So I definitely think there will be another bubble on sensor technology. IoT will kind of come back around with AI-enabled IoT, big time, and uh, everybody and their mother will want to invest in that because that is where the world is headed. It is so easy to create a SaaS system these days, and it's been done to death, but. It is very difficult to build these, and there really is a first mover advantage. There's moats to be created. I think that's huge. And then really further down the road, I think when quantum computing becomes like accessible to the everyday company, I think you're going to see a massive explosion of artificial intelligence capabilities because you will no longer need days and weeks to do training on you know, millions of records. It'll happen in seconds. Like... I really believe that. And the iteration cycles will decrease drastically and the capabilities will increase like in orders of magnitude that are probably uncomprehendable. I mean, it feels quite a bit like the Internet in 1996 or apps like in 2001. Right. You know, it's we know it's going to change everything and we don't really know how all of it, but we we think we know. And it turns out we only know about five percent. Right. Um, so that's that's my take on it. It is still human driven. Um, you know, every artificial intelligence system in its essence, right? AI is where you, you give it an input, you give it an output and the system writes an algorithm for you. And that's called a training model. Well, somebody defines what the expected output should be on every AI system. And it's never going to create itself. So I think there's also a future where you're going to have bad actors in AI defining things that are maybe putting money over people or whatever that, you know, 
terrorism or whatever the the bad things we're all scared about are. And you're going to have a whole lot of good people. And that's been a trend that's happened throughout human history. Every new piece of technology is used for good or evil. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that as well. I don't think Terminator's coming, but I do think deepfakes are coming, right? <laughs> not quite yet. Not yeah. quite yet. Well, as we start to close up the conversation here, uh, Skip, for retailers who are new to AI and computer vision technology, you, I, whether it's brand new, they have a little bit of experience, or they know a lot, but they just haven't enabled it, uh, what kind of advice would you offer for getting started with tech like Spacey? And uh, Tyler or Hannah, like if you put yourself in the place of the retailer, you know, maybe what are some questions that you would want to ask uh, Skip before you start enabling this tech? I had a question in the sense of, obviously, we're talking about retail space. Um, for clothing stores, is this is this uh, space something that we could use in, in clothing stores? And if not, is that something that's, I don't know if you can share on that or shed light on that, that's something in the works for the future? Great question. Um, I would say that as of today, computer vision is not a great solution for clothing inventory tracking. I think RFID will win the day on that. Um, I do think that experiences inside of stores, it's a great use case for that. I think in order for it to significantly work well in a clothing store, the algorithms have to be Drastic, drastically changed, and I think uh, that's probably like minimum five years, six years away. We're not working on clothing for that. Um, I again, if it's on a shelf, we got we we can do pretty well on it. If it's on a hanger, probably not. Right? That's not for that's not for us. Perfect. And then I do have one other question. So we talked a lot about the retail store, you know, visually reading the packaging and SKUs and stuff like that. What about this technology within a warehouse, like a picking and packing scenario where it's able to read, you know, SKUs, but maybe it's bolts or something in a box and then someone's picking and packing the actual package itself. Is it able to track inventory that way? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So in a warehouse, this is uh, please disregard our logos. Sorry. Um, <laughs> in a warehouse. Uh, we, we are actually reading labels on boxes and, uh, in order to identify, um, you know, what's inside because every box won't tell you with a computer vision solution. And so we're at over 99% accurate on reading these things from, you know, 13 feet away with low, lower resolution cameras, um, single camera per aisle. Technically it's cheaper, the longer the aisle. So it should work very well in a warehouse. Um, but, uh, when you're talking about velocities, there's other ways to orientate this thing. So as things are being picked, um, doing just counts, depletion counts, or even just mounting cameras to a line, assembly line, where I'm packing things up and taking, not only inferring, but taking pictures for validation on every level that, uh, that you're using for an e-commerce order, for example. So that um, if a customer says, I didn't get it, you can literally go through the history and say, here you go, Mr. Mrs. Customer, check it out. It's there, or we're sorry, you're right, it's not there. Um, so there's there's a whole slew of, of opportunity there. I do want to go back to um, one question that was early, uh, earlier about how do retailers get started with some of this tech, and what are what are what are some interesting ways to do that, and what is my recommendation? I, I want to start with like a red flag. 
if I may. So if a retailer is evaluating to use any artificial intelligence system, not just not just us, right? Um, AI is incredibly easy to fake for a demo. If I was going to invite you in or you want us to go install in a lab, we can make it 100% accurate, which isn't possible, by the way, with artificial intelligence. The values are true, uh, not true and false, but false and not yet false. So you're always improving. But you can make it look however you want, especially if there's not a lot of usage. Um, if, if there's a demo day and we're going to track something that moves, very easy to do. Where it starts to fall down is with scale, right? And, and the fake stuff doesn't hold up to scale. So I would argue if you're going to try any artificial intelligence system, try it on, obviously pilot it, but in a real environment with real people and watch the results, but also give it time. Because remember, artificial intelligence, it, it is a learning algorithm. So you should see an uptick. It's like a, a curve of how well it performs over time. So if you're going to give it two weeks, you're going to get a snapshot. But if you give it like three months, you are going to see a drastically different system. If you give it six months, you might find where the top is, or you might see another drastic system, like because it's learning. So I would highly recommend that you structure it correctly and also just understand some fundamentals. You don't need to be a programmer. You don't need to know everything there's to know about artificial intelligence, but just some fundamentals. There's just so much noise out there. And there's a lot of companies that claim to be an AI system that are integrating, um, you know, a Google platform and calling themselves an AI system. And that's great, but they're consultants, right? They're not, they're not inventing things. So, and, and that might be okay, but just, um, just be aware that about 95% of the field are implementing tools that are created by big tech companies and not really creating these niche things. So, and like I said, it might be okay, but the, the downside is when you hit a ceiling, that's it. You might get to 80% accuracy if you're going to, you know, infer what a product is and you could spend millions of dollars in years to get to 81% because just the ceilings are there versus if you, if you understand it and own the variables or co any company coming in has built their own framework uh, and they own all the variables, they can, they can break those limits. And so it's just another tidbit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much about uh, the tech, Skip. We really appreciate it and, and learned a lot. You know, as we start to close up here, do we have any final thoughts um, about what Skip just showed us today, Hannah, Hannah or Tyler? Just are there any aspects of the tech that uh, you think that we should kind of learn more about or um, host another podcast episode? Honestly, there's probably so much more to get into. Uh, what did you come away from this? Well, I can speak on that. Um, I it was kind of a refresher from the first time uh, we saw Skip at the um, at the luncheon, and you know, I've sitting there and just listening to it and seeing his presentation. I, I mean, had I literally got in the car. I remember sitting next to a gentleman, and he, he was presenting, and we both like our jaws dropped, and like, and we both looked at each other, just of like all the stuff and the capabilities, his uh, capabilities that his machine. Um, and his camera can do. Um, so I was like, we got to try to get him on this podcast. So it was just great to, you know, get him here and skip. I appreciate you, you know, coming on and, 
Um, you know, I, I love for other people. I came to the office like telling people about it. So, you know, it'd be good for them to really see what I was talking about. Fantastic. And Hannah? Perfect. Yep. I just want to follow up with saying thank you, Skip, for joining us today. Tyler and I had so much value added to to our days. And, you know, we've continued to talk about it and socialize Spacey and what we think it can do for our customers here at Catapult. And we're excited to help get the word out about the technology and how much and how we can help um, connect the dots to help our customers improve their ROI as well. Great. And Skip, how can people reach out if they want to learn more about Spacey? Yeah. Uh, first, let me just say this is super fun for me. And it's just it's awesome to hang out with great people. So thank you for having me. Um, definitely, please reach out if this is something you feel like you uh, need to learn about. Um, you can reach me um, if you go to Spacey.com. Pretty easy there. Uh, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn or you can email me skip at Spacey.com. Uh, we'll probably you know, get you the right person in our organization to talk to. But um, I'm very happy to talk about this. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a giant nerd, and this is a lot of fun for me. <laughs> awesome. Well, that wraps up the conversation for today. So thank you to Hannah, Tyler, and especially Skip for joining us on today's podcast to just tell us all about Spacey's tech and just AI in retail, where it's going, where it's heading, and what is happening in the now. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you all on. And as always, if you want to learn more, please visit catapultsg.com and look for this podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts at. I've been your host, Gabrielle. Thanks for tuning in. 